Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. We are officially here, beginning of our relationship series. Cannot resist starting playing that video again, getting the hype going. So it is great. And yeah, we won't turn on all the lights, just the, just, yeah, like right there is great, so we can still see the screen. But uh, it's great to be here. It's great to have you here. This is, like I said, an exciting day. And I've been looking forward to this series for a long time. What about you guys? Awesome. Awesome. A little bit quiet. At least we got some, some guys back there that are excited. Hopefully you're all excited. But let's, I want to start by asking a simple question, which is why a teaching series on relationships? Why? And this is going to be a long series, but why a series on this and why I'm assuming there's a lot of interest? Why is there so much interest? Well, for one, the chances are that at some point in your life, you will be in a relationship. And by relationship, of course, we're not just talking about a friendship. We're talking about a, a romantically interested relationship with a person of the opposite gender and chances are you will. Uh, I looked at one uh, peer-reviewed, or not peer, well, a peer, they call it. Um, it's one of the Pew Research, Pew Research studies. There we go. And it was on relationships and dating, and it said among never-married singles above the age of 40, only 21% say they have never been in a relationship before. Only 21. So that means you have about an 8 out of 10 chance of being in a serious relationship. And if you are thinking, I don't know, I'm pretty busy, I don't really care about relationships, I don't think that there's ever going to be a person for me, I don't even care if there's a person for me, well, if you're thinking that, there's a good chance that someone else is thinking that exact same thing. And who knows, the Lord may just bring you two together. So, don't, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, be, be careful. It might just happen. To add to all of this, and this, was, this has been a new experience for me in Alabama compared to where we've been in the past, but here in Alabama, you guys still do it old school. And what do I mean by that? There's still a lot of high school sweethearts, and it's not so uncommon for guys and girls to get married at 19, 20 years old. We just had two church weddings the past few weeks where I think both brides were 19 years old, right? So, uh, so there's a good chance. Well, what this means is that some of you are already in a fairly serious relationship. And for many others, it might only be a matter of a few years before you're in a serious relationship. So sometimes when churches do this, they'll do this for the young adults ministries, maybe the college ministries, but being here in Alabama, it's like, no, it needs to be done now for the high school students. So, you know, that's, hey, that's, that's, that's great in many ways. But uh, so that's, that's a big reason, right? This is very relevant for you. Another reason for doing this, studies is that, uh, this study is that love and relationships absolutely saturate the culture. And what do I mean by that? Well, think of music, for example. Think of music. And I was looking at another study or whatever, that was looking at the top 40 songs from each decade starting in 1960, and they were looking at the, the content and the theme of those songs. 
And they found that 67% of the top 40 songs in each of those decades was about 67% of the songs involved relationships and love as the primary theme. So dominates music. Of course, uh, how many shows and movies feature romantic relationships? Does anyone know of a Disney movie that does not have a romantic interest in it? Brave, maybe? Moana? Okay, Encanto. I guess some of the newer ones, maybe? Beauty and the Beast is definitely all about the romance. What about like TV shows, Netflix series? I know there was a Q&A not too long ago. Someone mentioned uh, The Outer Banks. I don't know about that. Oh, oh, someone just exposed themselves right there. Someone just said, now I know what you're watching. I know what you're watching. Okay. Look, I'm, I'm assuming most of you have access to Netflix for better or for worse, mostly for worse. But uh, relationships are a theme there too, right? So the culture is saturated. Also, another thing, how often does the topic of relationships come up among your friends or peers at school? How often? How often do relationships or romance come up in conversation among your peers and friends at school? All the time. Right, so it's, it's dominant, a dominant feature of your life. Also, another thing, relationships can be the greatest source of excitement and, enjoy, and joy that you will experience in life, but they can also be the greatest source of discouragement and heartbreak that you'll experience in life. Also, for most, the person you choose to marry will be the single greatest influence on your life. It will impact career decisions, where you will live, whether or not you have children and how those children will be raised. Now, don't worry, we're not going to be talking about children in this series, um, but, uh, but it will impact it. Also, it will impact, maybe most importantly, how you grow and mature spiritually. In fact, I want to explore this one just a little more, and I want to do this by looking at the example of King Solomon, King Solomon. And to do this, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 3 for right now. And we're going to look at this example of King Solomon. And if you don't know King Solomon, or you don't know about him, or you don't know a lot about him, he was the wisest and richest king in the history of ancient Israel and of the world at that time. Speaking of Solomon's wealth, it's, it's, pretty much impossible to, to get to, to come up with a modern dollar figure for how much money he had. But there's been people that have tried to guess. And I was looking at one um, guy in, in graphic, and it suggested that Solomon would have had a personal wealth, the equivalent of over $2 trillion today, with the amount of gold that was coming in each year, the amount of tributes and land that he had he would have been a trillionaire. Now, how much? I, it's, it's impossible to know, but it's very likely it could have been over $2 trillion. So very rich, very wise, and he started out great as a king of Israel. And let's, let's start reading. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 3, it says, now, the, now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, 
except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And this is right after he became king. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what you wish me to give you. Ask anything. And here then says, Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him the great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father, David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And pausing here for a moment, we see that, okay, Solomon wasn't perfect, right? He still burned the incest on the high places that he wasn't supposed to. But this is a pretty great start. I mean, imagine you're asked, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. And instead of asking for money, instead of asking for a long life or anything else, he asks for wisdom to lead God's people. So it starts out great, and God, because Solomon asked these things, God did bless him with a lot of wealth as, as a, 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 on top of the wisdom that God gave him. But despite how great it started for Solomon, it did not end great. It did not end great. And to see the report card on Solomon's reign as king, turn over to 1 Kings 11, and we'll look at verses 1 to 8. 1 Kings 11. And this is going to tell us why Solomon did not end well. 1 Kings 11, verses 1 to 8. And it reads, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. And just pausing here for a moment, the issue here is not ethnicity. It's not the issue. If, you, if, if some of you ladies did the Ruth study, who is Ruth? What nation did Ruth come from? She's a Moabite, right? That's, that's among the, the nations listed here. But Ruth, she was godly. And she committed herself to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so it was righteous for Boaz to marry her. So the issue is not ethnicity. The issue is worship and loyalty, Primarily to what God? The God of the gods of the nations, lowercase g, or the God, the only God, who is the God of Israel. That's the issue. However, as a general rule, this command that's being quoted here, and this was a command given in the first five books of Moses, this command was given to Israel because it was assumed that ungodly pagan wives would draw away the men of Israel from Yahweh, their God, to worship the false gods of the nations. 
And this is what happens with Solomon. So let's continue in verse three. It says, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. All right, let me just say this. If Solomon wanted to make his life difficult, he just needed one wife. He just needed one wife. Instead, he chose 1,000, multiplying his problems by 1,000. And, and, okay, I'm kidding, right? It's not, often it's not the, the women that cause problems for men. Usually it's the men causing their own problems through their stupidity and all of their issues. The wives, though, they're really good at pointing those issues out. They're really good at doing that. So, all right, enough jokes, okay? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. As we're going to see in this study... The, the wives are a blessing from the Lord. We're going to see that, okay? And, and you're going to believe it. You're going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, no, okay. Jokes, okay, let's move. Let's move on. All right. Verse four. Verse four, it says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord as God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as, his, as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon." Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now what can be missed here is Molech. Does anyone know what was involved in the worship of Molech? That's right. They sacrificed children. Young babies, toddlers, they sacrificed children in the worship of Molech. Now, there's no indication that Solomon directly participated in some of this worship. At least scripture doesn't say, but he certainly facilitated it. He certainly built the high places and the places of worship for these gods. And his wives certainly worshipped these gods, which means Solomon had wives that worshipped Molech. And just think of the implications of that and how far Solomon had fallen from the beginning of his reign, and all because of the women he chose to marry. In fact, this is a great example. There's an adage that Paul cites. It says, bad company corrupts good morals. You've heard that? Paul, Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. And this principle, bad company corrupts good morals, is especially true for your romantic partner. In fact, your romantic partner is probably going to have the greatest influence on you in your life. So this kind of sets the stage, and we could say this with relationships being such a dominant and influential feature of our lives, why then are we doing this series? Well, the answer, and you can write this down, the answer why we are starting the series is so that you can learn what you need to know to find and enter a relationship that will bring divine blessing upon your life and draw you closer to God. And I'll read that again. It's so that you can learn 
what you need to know to find and enter a relationship that will bring divine blessing upon your life and draw you closer to God. That is our purpose for this series. And so speaking of relationship expertise and guidance, this past week I asked a few of you students, what is the most popular source of relationship advice for teenagers today? Just trying to do some reconnaissance, some, some, uh, some information collecting. What is the most important? Well, one answer I heard was parents. I did hear that answer, and that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. In fact, parents can be a great source of advice, assuming that you're blessed with parents who are wise people. Right? Not all parents are, okay, but, but assuming you're blessed with great parents, I know some of your parents, and they are great parents, okay? then parents can be a great source of advice. And we'll talk a little bit about this in a second. But the most consistent answer I heard was, can anyone guess? Oh, well, uh, friends. I heard friends. The internet is true, and we're going to talk about that a little bit too. But friends was the most consistent answer I heard. But then I asked, okay, but then where are these friends getting their advice from? And the answer was, well, I, don't, I don't really know. At least the few people I asked, I don't know. In fact, one student, and I thought this was a great answer, um, they said, they, they compared it to like a mythology. That, that relationship advice through friends is like a mythology that just kind of mysteriously passes from friend to friend and, and you don't really know where it comes from. It's just there. And that was, that was great. But, but as humorous as it is to think of relationship advice, among young people as a mythology. Even mythologies have a point of origin. They don't just come out of nothing. So what are the common sources and are these sources of relationship advice trustworthy? Now we're gonna cover a few, not all of the potential sources out there, but we're gonna highlight a few big ones and, and talk about them. Okay, so the first one, let's talk about parents. All right, parents. Assuming your parents are trustworthy people who generally care about you, this can be a great source of relationship advice. Great source. Especially when it comes to evaluating your current relationships. Especially then. And the reason for this is, one, your parents have lived more life than you and your friends. They are older. And that life experience does bring with it a measure of wisdom. So, there, so that's one thing to consider. Also, in the vast majority of cases, your parents care more about you and the outcome of your life than your friends. Now, I know as a teenager, it might seem like, you know, is that really true? You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you might, but it might just be because you, in that moment, you like your friends more than your parents. But believe me, your parents do love you. In the vast majority of cases, they love you more than your friends. And you think about it, Nobody has known you longer than your parents. Nobody has spent more money on you than your parents. And all the parents are saying amen to that back there. But that's one thing. Also, nobody has given you their DNA like your parents. And that means that you are forever connected to your parents. And really, even in a literal sense, a part of your parents' identity. You are their flesh and blood. And all those factors together do mean that your parents will often 
care more about you and the outcome of your life than anybody else. So, here's a, here's a pro tip. If your parents are not happy with your relationship decisions, that is a huge red flag that should make you slow down and make you consider. Because chances are they're seeing things, they're observing things, and because they care about you, they don't want, want you to make a big dumb decision. And so if they're not happy with the person you're with, listen to that. Or I would say consider that. And I say that because I do want to make a qualification. While your parents are great, and I think most of your parents, the parents I know are great, they're still human. They're still human, which means that they're not perfect. And they're not going to know everything. All right, so it's a great source of advice, but it's not a perfect source of advice. All right, number two. The number two source of advice is personal experience and the experience of others. Personal experience and the experience of others. And uh, we can say that experience can be a great instructor. It really can. In fact, I want to show you this from Scripture. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And here, the Apostle Paul is speaking of the Israelites who came out of Egypt in the Exodus being led by Moses. He's speaking about them and how God blessed them so much. But then starting here in verse 5, Paul says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low or humbled in the wilderness. Now these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters like as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Speaking of the golden calf worship. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us test the Lord or try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So what Paul is saying here is that the experiences of the ancient Israelites, all of their sins and all the consequences of their sins, they were recorded in scripture to teach us what not to do. And if we learn from those examples, then we can have a much better outcome. That's the idea here. However, and I want to make this qualification about experience, despite the value of experience, this source of relationship instruction and advice is not perfect either. And, and the reason is, you think about this, one, in order to learn from bad experience you must be able to accurately interpret that experience. For example, okay, imagine a person who is a horrible driver. They're a horrible driver. They're texting on their phone all the time, not using their turn signals. They're, they're speeding, cutting in front of people, tailgating people, all the bad things that you can do as a driver. And they also don't wear their seatbelt. On top of all that, they don't wear their seatbelt. And then one day, they get into an accident, I get some, I, I'm taking it. Some of the girls over here are horrible drivers based on the, the laughing. So I don't know, but hopefully this won't be you. Okay. 
But let's say you have this person, they're not wearing their seatbelt, they get into an accident and they get badly hurt and then they recover from their injury and then they think to themselves, I know what the problem is. I didn't wear a seatbelt. <laughs> if I just wore a seatbelt, I wouldn't be injured. Well, okay, maybe they wouldn't be hurt as bad, but they have other problems. They, they're a horrible driver. And if they don't fix that, then whether they wear a seatbelt or not, they may still get another accident, right? And so we could say that a person's incomplete or incorrect understanding of their experience and their role in that experience too, right? How they are contributing to that. If they don't understand this, then they're not gonna be able to fix their problems. And this is the reason that so many people repeat their mistakes over and over and over again. They just, they're blind to what caused the problems in the first place. So that's one reason that experience is not a perfect teacher. Also, even if you can and are able to learn from bad experiences, that doesn't mean you know what to do to have a good experience. Here's an example to think about this. Imagine you have a heart surgeon, a heart surgeon, and they're never taught how to successfully perform heart surgery. They're just given a scalpel and a blade and they're like, hey man, trial, trial and error, just figure it out. Just figure it out. Just, just go, jump in it and go. And, uh, you know, if, if you kill somebody, well, at least you'll know not to do that again. Whatever you did to kill them, just don't do that again. So you got the surgeon, he's just, you know, cutting through. He's like, oh, you know, I'm not supposed to cut that. Okay, you know, sorry for this guy, but, uh, you know, I won't do it again. Right? Would you want that surgeon to be your heart surgeon? Some are saying no. Okay, some like to live, live dangerously, I guess. Obviously, if this is really serious, no, you wouldn't, okay? You wouldn't. And this, this shows us that learning from mistakes, learning from bad experiences is not enough. We also need to learn what we, what we need to do to be successful, to have a good experience. And yet, how often and how many times do we listen to people or ask advice from people that have no proven track record of success? All they have is just failures that they've supposedly learned from, but they haven't had any proven success. We, we do that. We do that. So regarding relationship advice, experience, our own experience, the experience of others is not a guaranteed path to a successful and blessed relationship. All right, number three, and this ties into the internet. I have here popular influencers on social media, popular influencers on social media. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about this one, but I will say that it seems to be a human tendency to trust and follow people who are attractive and popular, right? Whether they're an actor, actress, country, country star, uh, who are the big ones? Morgan Wallen, is he the one? Okay, see, there we go right there. Okay, <laughs> there's a few. And there's, a, there's some other uh, ladies as well on there. See, I knew I'd get that reaction. I knew, I knew it. I knew it. So we tend. All right, all right. Settle down, ladies. Settle down. Okay. So we tend to gravitate towards people that are popular, attractive. We tend to trust in them. But let me just say that attractiveness and popularity do not equal wisdom. All right. If you, were, if you weren't already clear on that, let me be clear on that. It does not equal wisdom. I'm not saying that an influence, influencer will always give bad advice, 
But they could also give advice that is literally from, like, straight from the pit of hell. It's literally, like, satanically influenced advice. And that is more common than you would think on the stage of social media, entertainment, music, all of that. So you got to be careful. And you cannot trust any influencer as if they're a prophet of God because they're not. So just be careful. Be careful and take everything some influencer says with a heavy grain of salt. All right, so that's, that's one just comment to make about that. But we've gone through these three. Obviously, these are not all of the potential sources of relationship advice that are out there, but my intention is not to go through all of them. My intention and what I hope I just accomplished is to show you by highlighting a few major sources of relationship advice that these sources are not 100% trustworthy. Sometimes they're actually damaging. So this then leads to a natural question, a follow-up question. If all of these sources are not 100% trustworthy, even my parents who love me, if that is not even 100% trustworthy, then where do we go to learn how to find and enter a relationship that will be a joy and a blessing? And what do you think the answer is? What's the answer? The Bible. There we go. Scripture. The Bible. In fact, to demonstrate this, let us go to the final passage that we'll look at tonight, and that is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And I know I've covered this in the past. I think in our Bible, little Bible mini-series that we did last December, we talked about this verse, but there's refreshers are always great. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it reads, All Scripture is inspired by God. Inspired by God. And pausing here for a moment, inspired does not mean like a painter who's inspired to paint or a musician who is inspired to meet. This word in the Greek literally means, it can be literally translated God-breathed. So you could say all scripture is God-breathed. And what that means is that all scripture, although it was written down by prophets and apostles, all scripture originated from the mouth of God. Originated from the mouth of God. God is scripture's author and creator. The prophets, they're just instruments. They're just tools in the hand of God to write his words. Continuing, so all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God, or you can insert woman of God, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And here, this term adequate, when you look at the original Greek term, it means complete or prepared. It's like an athlete who's at the end of their training. They're at the pinnacle of their training and they're ready for, competi for competition. They have the conditioning down, they have all the plays, all the techniques down, and they are ready to go and enter the competition. And really the idea here is that because, if we're just kind of summarize it, because scripture originates from the mouth of God, because he is its author, it is able to train and prepare a man or woman to live a righteous life before God. That is what this passage is saying, being equipped for every good work. 
And the reason that scripture is able to do this is because God, as our creator, and God who is infinite, and we just went over that in our anxiety study, how infinite God truly is, because God knows everything, because he is infinite, his instruction through scripture can be trusted as perfect and 100% true and trustworthy. He knows everything. He knows everything that could go wrong, everything that could go right, everything that will go wrong, everything that will go right, because he literally created everything. And he knows everything. So his word is the only thing that is 100% trustworthy. And if you remember from the verses that we read from Psalm 119 at the beginning of this service that, that Brother Bima read us, Scripture makes us wise, and Scripture by itself has the capability of not just making us wise, but making us wiser than all of our teachers and all of the aged people who have tons of experience in life. Scripture is capable of doing that by itself. Through Scripture, the young person can be wiser and know more about the things of God and about the things of this world than even an 80-year-old guy who has tons of life experience. That's the power of Scripture and the wisdom of Scripture. So thinking of this series, we can say that Scripture is really the king of relationship advice. And as we go through this series, and, and I mentioned this is going to be a long series, this is probably going to be a 16-week series. That's the plan. 16 weeks, about four months. We're going to go through a ton of topics on a variety of issues within relationships and the process of relationships. It's going to be long, and Scripture is going to be our instruction guide. And what this means is that this is not going to be a series on Brother Matthew's dating and relationship advice. Okay, if you were wondering... Well, you know, all those other sources, they're not good. Well, who's Brother Matthew? Like, what does he know, right? You know, as if, as if I'm anything. Even though I will say I am married to a godly woman and she has not yet left me. So, so okay, I at, least have, I at least have that going for me. Yes, okay. That is true. That is true. But seriously, in all seriousness, there is no wisdom, no wisdom that I have or that I can offer you that is not already said or taught in Scripture. Now, yeah, maybe from time to time I'll, sh I'll share personal experience and application when appropriate. Yes, I will be picking the topics that we'll be going through. And if another preacher was teaching the same series, they may focus on slightly different topics or they might emphasize different things. So, so I'm not the only guy out there that has something to offer in that sense. Um, but if I'm doing my job faithfully, then everything that we will cover and emphasize in this series will be based on and rooted in Scripture. That is the goal. And I'm confident that if you pay attention and if you apply this truth in your life, this truth that we will study together in this series I'm confident that it will result in blessing upon your life. No question about that. So let's pray, and then we will get ready for our tonight show. Uh, Lord God, uh, we are so thankful for your word, and thankful that we are here and able to be able to, to start and embark on a study like this, Lord. Um, we're just excited and, and hopeful for, 
the blessing that this study will provide for us. Lord, I pray for all these students who are both in relationships right now or who may be in relationships soon or in this, the, the years to come, Lord, that you would just protect us and that you would bless us and that this study would be a help for us in that regard. I pray for everyone here in, in addition to those things, Lord, that you would just continue to provide for us and protect us and, and be with us as... Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.